So I describe myself as a Jesus follower. And that's a, it's a very deliberate decision. And in this episode of The Eclectic Monk, I'll tell you why. Stick around. So in AD 33, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving that he actually was the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the anointed servant of God. And this is a, a historical fact. You can look into it yourself. It's what I did. And I'm convinced that this really happened. Now, by AD 50, the Jesus followers movement had taken hold and had spread from Jerusalem and was moving out all around the Mediterranean basin, slowly making its way into Rome. It was led mostly by the early disciples, those who actually had been with Jesus, we call those apostles, and their early followers who were going around and and sharing the good news of this new way of life that Jesus had come to open up for all who would believe. And this early church was a loose affiliation of small groups, people meeting in homes and other available public spaces. They were led mostly by itinerant teachers and, and elders, those who had been in the faith a little bit longer than the others. And it was very much a ground roots kind of movement. And these early believers, well, they took seriously Jesus's command to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. It was pretty early on that the early Jesus followers had uh, persecution and resistance from the Jewish religious establishment in Jerusalem began spreading out into the non-Jewish world. And they began to make an impact on Roman society. And as that happened, they began to get resistance from the culture and the political system. And that led to periodical persecutions, usually localized, but quite severe at times. Uh, in AD 66, uh, after the fire that burned most of the city of Rome, uh, the emperor Nero blamed it on the Christians. And the apostles Peter and Paul would both be killed in that persecution, and killed for the uh, crime of heresy. See, they refused to worship Caesar as God. That emperor worship was considered one of the glues that held the empire together. And that was really the common reason for all of the Christian martyrs in the first and second centuries. They were unwilling to worship another lord even though following Jesus and not the emperor was an act of treason. Pretty amazing group of people. The um, testimonies of those early followers is, is inspiring. These who were unwilling to compromise their faith. One of my favorites is St. Is Ignatius. Ignatius was the leader of the church in Antioch, and around 150 A.D., he was arrested and was taken to Rome, where he was condemned to be 
thrown into the arena and killed by wild beast. And he wrote a series of letters to the churches as he was passing through. And, and I want to share with you just a little bit of his letter to the church in Rome, where he was afraid they would try to keep him from being killed. This is, this is Ignatius. He said, I write to the churches and signify to them all that I'm willing to die for God unless you hinder me. I beseech that you show not an unseasonable goodwill towards me. Suffer me to be food to the wild beast by whom I shall attain unto God. For I am the wheat of God, and I shall be ground by the teeth of the wild beast that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. Rather, encourage the beast that they may become my sepulcher and may leave nothing of my body, that being dead, I may not be troublesome to any. Then shall I be truly the disciple of Jesus Christ, when the world shall not see me so much as my body. Pray therefore unto Christ for me, that by these instruments I may be made the sacrifice of God. Now that's incredible. That's what following Jesus meant to these early Christians. And the next 150 to 200 years, they're going to suffer at the hands of Rome over and over again. They, they, the Roman culture didn't understand what they were doing. But out of that time, as their numbers grew, their impact of, of their lifestyle on the culture became greater and greater. They were, they were teaching things like being at peace with your enemies, love for your neighbors. It's better to serve than to be served. Better to give than to receive. And so love and peace and service and charity are characteristics of the movement. And over time, they, they began to make quite a difference. And so these were the, the early Jesus followers. And, and I like to identify with these people because I understand that the culture we live in today has a lot in common with Rome of the first century AD. I mean, yes, we're, we're more advanced technologically, but Rome of first century was the most technologically advanced culture of its time. It was culturally diverse. It was sexually open. It was, it was class-driven. There were the very, very rich, and there were the very, very poor, and there was a thriving middle class who was educated. They were also violent and, and given to entertainment. They were just a lot like Western culture in 2021. And so I like to think of myself as being in this group, Jesus followers, willing to deny self and follow after Jesus. Well, unfortunately, success for the church was on the horizon, and with it came a serious issue that plagues the church to this day. Give me just a minute and I'll come back and explain what happens. So in 312 AD, Constantine was the emperor of Rome and he converted to Christianity, making it the state religion of the Roman Empire and ending that sporadic persecution of the Jesus followers. Now, this stamp of state approval would be a blessing and a curse as the new Roman Christians began bringing their familiar worship practices into their new state religion. 
See how that happens? See, really, church as we understand it and practice it today has a lot more in common with pagan practices of ancient Rome than it does with the lifestyle worship of the early Jesus followers. You've probably never heard that before, but it's true. Now think about it. Even the way our buildings are set up, the, the ancient Jesus followers met in dining spaces. They sat around the table breaking bread and discussing the way. But Roman worship temples were set up where you walked in, there was the laity sat in the rows facing the raised dais where the priest would come and would pronounce all of the special blessings and words over the people. There would even be a chorus behind them to repeat and expand on what they were teaching to the common people. That's how our churches are set up today. They had a, an established hierarchy. There was the priesthood, there was the, 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 uh, the laity, and there was the adherents. In the early Catholic Church, as it became Romanized, you had the Pope, and then the cardinals, and then the bishops, and then the priest, and then the monks, and then the laity, and then the common people. See, it all is built that way. Even the worship of saints, the saints who represent different groups and different ideas, think about it, those ancient Roman gods that are actually based on the ancient Greek gods were these elemental gods, and they simply took all of that and Christianized it, painting them with the names of saints, those who had died and gone before. Even, even Mary, Mary holds a special place in the Catholic Church, but the worship and veneration of Mary directly tied to the worship of Diana and the ancient Roman culture. It's right there. When you start looking for it, you see Rome all over the church. By 590 AD, the Roman Empire is in a state of collapse. The government is ineffectual. The military is in revolt. Rome itself is just filled with the poor, the indigent. And in steps Pope Gregory I, known as Gregory the Great, who was a, a, an established politician. But he was a good man. He had great administrative skills and compassion for the poor and the needy. And so he organized relief efforts, brought money into the city, sold off tracts of land to create uh, money for the people and to provide food for them. And so by the end of his reign, his end of his life, the citizens had placed the political power that once belonged to the Senate into the hands of the church. And for nearly a thousand years, the Roman Catholic Church would remain the most powerful political entity in the Western Hemisphere. In fact, it's still a very powerful political entity around the world. Then in 1517 AD, Martin Luther, who, who was a Catholic priest, began reading scripture and, and he began taking issue with the selling of indulgences that the Catholic Church was doing to raise money to help build the uh, Cathedral of St. Peter's in the Vatican City in Rome. Basically, they had these, these uh, monks going through and they were telling the people that it, by this time had, had the, the Christian religion had become quite a superstition. 
And they were convinced there was this idea of purgatory. You died, you didn't go immediately to heaven, you went to purgatory, this holding place. And they were coming and they were saying, you know, every time the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Basically, that was their chant. To raise money, they were lying to the poor people to raise money to build this incredible building. Martin Luther thought it was wrong, and so he nails his 95 Theses through the door of the church in Saint in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, and the Protestant Reformation begins. And the result, of course, of the Protestant Reformation is that the power structure of the church was was rebuilt. It was shifted. We have all of these denominations that come from that uh, in the United States. We are primarily a Protestant nation, uh, from the Puritans to the Baptists to the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, and uh, uh, many others all find their root back into the, the Reformation from Martin Luther. Uh, but really, Christianity as a religion remained unchanged. And so today, when somebody asks you your religion and you say, I'm a Christian, what they assume is that you're someone who holds the basic tenets of this established belief system and that you practice and observe the traditions associated with that system. You, you go to church, you give your money, you, you do those things. And see, what happened with Constantine back in 312 was that the passion of those Jesus followers was replaced with an acceptable cultural observance of religious practice. The church was embraced by Rome and then became Roman. And that religious element is an essential ingredient in a vast number of churches and churchgoers today. Good Christians go to church. Good Christians give money. Good Christians follow the rules. And they they do what they're told they're supposed to do, and they abstain from what they're told they're supposed to abstain from. And they believe what they're told to believe. They hold to those cultural traditions, even though they're wide and various, depending on what denomination, what church, even what region of the country you live in. That's a far cry from the passion of Peter, Paul, and Ignatius who willingly laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel. See, these men who were unwilling to compromise the message paid for it with suffering and death. And I know that doesn't sound very appealing, but that's what Jesus taught. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And this gospel of self-denial and radical obedience to the king is really not taught today. It doesn't sell well. What we're being sold today is, you are great. You are blessed. You deserve. If you give, you'll get more. If you just do the right things, then you're going to, to achieve and become great. Jesus said that the greatest of all is the least, and the servant of all. See, it's a lot easier to say the magic words, toss some coins in the plate, show up on an occasional Sunday morning, and, and be religious. But Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to invite us to follow him into a brand new way of life. He came saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you will believe in me, you will receive my spirit and eyes to see this new 
incredible way of being. This way where sacrifice ultimately gains eternal life and where you're empowered to overcome this world. Jesus said a lot of great things like, in this world you will have persecution. When they drag you before the magistrate, when they persecute you for my name's sake, the the, uh, assumption that Jesus himself had in the Gospels is that those who followed him were going to have difficulty on this side of eternity. It's not easy to be a Jesus follower. It's a lot easier to be a church-going Christian. But I choose to identify with the harder path because I have found that the sacrifice and the effort and the comfort and the joy of knowing God and having a, a constant and passionate relationship with Jesus is much more rewarding than just warming a pew every now and then. So I hope you found this interesting. Uh, I'd love to hear your comments. Be glad to talk about it with you. And as the days roll on, I encourage you, look into it for yourself. Well, until the next time we gather together, I hope things are well with you. Travel well. And God bless you. Good night. Thank you for listening to The Eclectic Monk. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast, I appreciate it if you would like it on whatever uh, site you're listening to. And go ahead and subscribe and review the podcast. That would really help me out. Uh, Those of you who are interested in knowing more about uh, me and what's going on in my world, check out TheEclecticMonk.com and you can get a little bit more insight and see some more content and figure out where we're going with this thing. Uh, And until the next time we gather together, safe travels. God bless.